0: This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb, Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic 1027. Good morning to you. It's just gone 7 o'clock. It's 7.02 to be exact,
1: but my name is Arabile Gumede, and this is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb, the 4th of February. Of course, we kickstarted February just last month, but this time around, we get to really get into the nuts and bolts of it. Of course, a whole lot happening today. I am still alone for today, but rick davies is in studio so we'll catch up with him in a bit of the market picture Eskom securing that 15 billion rand credit facility uh, that's just a fancy word for a loan so what does it mean how will escom be using it and how long will it last for can it get them to grips with just what is going on and does that mean that their loans now stand at nearly 430 if not more billion rand also Global insurers reevaluating their stance on coal mining. Let's remember, of course, that it is the week of the mining in Daba from the 4th to the 7th. So we'll chat a little bit about that and just what it means to have the situation as it currently stands in South Africa's mining and coal mining itself. Not necessarily looking like the brightest uh, mining in the pack. And the fog on South Africa's SOEs, it continues to be extremely difficult to get a hold of them of course escom being probably the riskiest of all and we'll check out just exactly why it's so so important rather to lift the fog and keep things going at south africa's state owned enterprises albert Buerta from ashburton believes that bonds are easily going to outperform inflation this year chat to him about why he thinks that and why he's so confident about that one at around 20 to 8. And also, there are the six major trends shaping future investment decisions that Alexander Forbes will chat to us about at around 10 to 8. All that and a whole lot more coming up between now and 8 o'clock. Let's get into your Monday edition of Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
0: This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronser on Classic 1027.
1: The market indicators are brought to you by the FNB Business 48 Hour Cash Accelerator. Get great rates and fast access. Now the JSE ended Friday and the whole of last week lower, with what was a weaker rand. We seem to have given the market a little bit more of its direction, particularly on Friday. Rand had lost around one percent to around thirteen thirty-seven uh, at the JSE's close on Friday, reacting a lot much a lot better, rather should I say, uh, than expected. uh To the better than expected U.S. jobs numbers, employers adding three hundred four thousand jobs in January that's well ahead of the market anticipation of 174,000 that was absolutely massive on that front uh it's a 100 consecutive month of wage growth in the world's largest economy um, and that seemingly a record figure for them the all share falling half nearly half a percent down to 53,930 points Um, industrials gave up one percent banks seven tenths of a percent the property stocks were 0.4 percent down gold miners adding almost two percent while the all share ended the week uh, two tenths of a percent lower but still up 2.26 2.26 percent so far in 2019 this week we are of course expecting bci to come out on uh, uh, that's on wednesday that's saki's bci that's perhaps the main economic data figure expected for the week but we'll also have the state of the union address of course uh that'll come out on thursday From the president, we'll chat about that in just a bit. Thirteen thirty-seven right now for a U.S. dollar, fifteen thirty-one for a euro, and the British pound selling you back seventeen rand and forty-nine cents. Checking a look at how things are faring out in Asia. The Nikkei is down, is up rather, a third of a percent. That's at twenty thousand eight hundred seventy. The Shanghai Composite is one and a third of a percent to the good at two thousand six hundred eighteen points. The Shanghai Composite pretty much flat. That's $27,926. It's $1,312 a fine ounce for gold. Platinum at $822 a fine ounce. Brent crude, $62.91 a barrel.
0: Every morning, Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
1: So we've had a look at the numbers. Let's talk about them now. Greg Davies, Head of Wealth at Kratos Capital, joining us in studio. Greg, thank you so much for your time. But then happy Monday to you. A good Monday after Manchester United won, obviously. But um, the markets themselves, JSC, a little down, but still very good on the year thus far.
2: Yeah, it's been a it was sort of a flashish week with some highlights, really. Volumes are starting to pick up. We did see on, on Wednesday a volume of about 29 billion going through, it was probably the biggest for the year so far. I see 19 billion on Friday, so that at least it's showing the flows are coming through. It does appear emerging markets are, are back in favor a little bit. You've seen that strength in the RAND on the back of the. Fed decision, but it did feel like probably Wednesday and Thursday big baskets of buying from offshore coming for you know the SA focused shares, which we haven't seen for quite some time. A couple of stories coming through this week, obviously. Um, I'm sure you spoke on the show, but Maria Amos resigning, mm. uh, that's caused a bit of a shift in the, in the thinking around the banking sector, um, and then. The ShopRite also gave a, uh, uh, well, they gave a sales update previously, but they gave a trading update and that share being batted back. So the theme of um, weaker retailers seems to be holding forth.
1: Yeah, now, and we were speaking about that just last week, as, as, as you mentioned. It, it, it certainly is a case in point of how the consumer market is looking and, of course, the state of South Africa's economy with weak growth and the like. But I wanted to chat about that Maria Ramosa uh, departure as well. You have some thoughts on that one
2: yeah i don't want to be a person (laughs) who starts rumors but there's someone quite high up uh, on, on the Reserve Bank side that, that recently stepped down out of the blue so
1: perhaps um, he, he's looking for a, a role in EPSA. Yeah you never know right these things certainly do come uh, you know as they currently stand and perhaps the announcements come uh, quite you know quite a few months actually of maybe a month or two apart uh, so perhaps trying to show that it doesn't low-key necessarily uh, um, you know match up but who knows it certainly could be one thing to make note of so So on the U.S. front, however, things aren't looking necessarily too bad. Not much to really speak about other than that trade war. Developments there are expecting to perhaps get some positive movement. Donald Trump saying that he does expect to reach some sort of agreement before the, uh, I think, the 3rd of March, if I'm not mistaken. It's the 4th of February. Do you think
2: we're getting there? Yes. I mean, I think uh, the U.S., uh, I think certainly Donald Trump, he seems to be a slave to the markets, but he... He does know that they need to get some some deals hammered out by, by that date um, because the market will take a dim view of that. I mean, back in the U.S., he must be feeling quite confident uh, 304,000 jobs c- created, um, which was announced on Friday in the non-farm payroll number. So way, almost double what, what the market was f- forecasting for. So you know, it might just be a cyclical, cyclical upturn, but he's certainly r-
1: riding the wave. Mm, that and the fact that global equity markets seem to have gone up, particularly in January. So we've seen like a, uh, that, that December rally we wanted so badly, only coming through in January by the seams of things.
2: Yeah, someone was saying on Twitter Christmas came late but it's it's finally <laughs> ar- arriving with some you know small gifts but they they look
1: juicy. Yeah, cuz January is not necessarily always seen as a month um of this kind of uh, of numbers as well. So let's talk about the remainder of the year then. You, the growth outlook has certainly hurt uh um you know quite a few markets out there you have the likes of italy who saw a recession in the second half of last year so that's bound to hurt you still have brexit which is not sorted you have that u.s china trade war situation as well Uh, the united states dealing with its own self france has got its own the globe is just seeming to 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 perhaps just worry about itself in many ways, and people, you know, perhaps not looking too much to try and helping each other in that helping hand. How does that fare, do you think, for markets?
2: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts over the weekend, and I see there's one of the guests coming on later from Ashburton that's going to speak about the you know bond markets outperforming. But I think locally here we'll probably see a, a, in a continued rally in the rand. I mean, it's we sort of overlooked it, but it's moved powerfully back into the 1330s now. Um, so I think the bond market will outperform, but. Local equities, I was just sort of saying to myself, "What can the drivers be what can what can it be that can really push the equity market higher? It can only be, be solid trading updates so far it 's been poor, but uh, you know we 're looking forward with the mining in dial, today. so perhaps something' we'll,
1: starting today will come out of that, and obviously the the state of the nation on Thursday. The beginning of the year is always the year of, uh, shall we say, talk shops, if you want to call it that. And, and hopefully, you know, after that, we get a bit of implementation. We have Davos, of course. We have the state of the state of the nation address also. Uh, I called it the state of the union, and that's the American one, which also is, is said to happen pretty soon too, right? So that's, uh, that's also going to be quite interesting to look out for. Uh, and you have this mining in Davos do you think we're we're still getting to a point where we all all we're doing is just talking and not necessarily you know putting putting uh, um um you know not knuckling down shall i say yeah,
2: I mean, we need something solid out of the State of the Nation address. Um, and I think uh, Mr. Mweni will probably realize the market's also looking for some some comforting words. So ha- some s- positive news out of there as well. Mining in Derby, a lot of foreign investors coming to the country. Mining has been under pressure. Well, the gold price has moved a lot higher. So perhaps some positive
1: news will come out of the mining in Derby. Yeah, and as you, you know, you note know, of that, of course, $1,313 a fine ounce. Uh, that's the price of gold, uh, uh, as we mentioned. And so perhaps, you know, I think the interesting element here is just how does uh Mantayashe, the Minister of uh, Mineral Resources in South Africa, actually make uh, this whole scenario, this whole mining sector enticing? We've continued to lose constant jobs in the sector and the mining sector itself which was the bedrock of South Africa's economy, certainly seeming to struggle along. But Greg will chat a little bit more a little later. Uh, He's the head of wealth at Kratos Capital.
0: This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic 1027. So it seems a few
1: local and international banks have come together to try and help cash-strapped power utility ESCOM one wonders why one wonders where they got the ability or perhaps what they saw in escom uh to be able to give them the more money and say yes we will entrust you with this loan and uh, hope that you can actually make something out of it and perhaps help yourselves here as well so what do we say what do we you know we'll try to find out more as to what it is that made them get this loan as well and what it is that they promised perhaps that consortium of local and international lenders let's chat to kulu pasiwe who is spokesperson now at escom kulu thank you so much for your time this morning you know getting that loan is perhaps a you know a good set of news it may not necessarily be the full amount that you require but it is going to help isn't it
3: indeed it is going to help good morning to and to our listeners as well it is going to help it is going to improve our liquidity position so that uh, we at least have some money, so and uh, especially for European Kusile, those are the key projects that we would like to finish as soon as possible, so that those projects can start generating money, and then in return, so that we can also retain this loan.
1: So how long is the money going to last? You say.
3: Well, the money was uh, for the current financial year, which is going to end now on the 31st of March. So, essentially, um, it, it will take us uh, through into the new financial year, starting from the 1st of April. And speaking of new financial year, we already have uh, raised uh, 30, 30% of the money that we will require then. So, essentially, for the next financial year, we will require another 70 billion right thereabouts. So, already 30% of that has been raised. Has uh, has been raised at this stage. So, Arabili, just to answer your question around some of the things that, uh, as to why some of these banks are lending us money, yes. it is because first of all, the the, the loans are state guaranteed. Uh, um, yeah, government is backed by the government, um, but also many of these companies or these banks have had long-standing relationships with ESCOM. So it's unlike uh, a new company that doesn't know who you are and how you operate. So. Some people, uh, some companies do believe that uh, there's value in ESCOM, which is why they are able to extend this loan to us.
1: What are the conditions set then by this consortium?
3: Well, the, the, the one major issue really was uh, whether they are going to get their money back. And one of the ways in which you can safely say that you'll get their money back is uh, to have uh, the, the guarantee from the state. So, the the other reasons, quite frankly, are just the normal transactions, really, um, in terms of uh, some of uh, these dealings, but uh, the primary um, objective from their end was just to make sure that we're going to get their money back after um, the period of time that has been agreed upon.
1: Yeah. Um, Kulu, structurally, how is ESCOM doing right now? I mean, we've spoken a lot about load shedding and the like as well, and obviously that has been of key concern. Um, But are you perhaps finding that now things are a whole lot more stable, shall we say, and now it's really about working the, the, the entire uh, you know, the entire operation? And at the same time, you have the, the notion of where exactly the plan goes. And I know that it's not necessarily just up to ESCOM alone to decide the plan with regards to whether the company split up into, into different parts or not. But would that perhaps create... Uh, a more viable business, do you feel? Do you think that you'll be able to concentrate on certain elements a whole lot more if that were to be the case?
3: You know, from our side, Arabine, the the splitting up of the company is uh, something which is above our company, It's the responsibility and the function of the shareholders, which is the government and government has already mentioned uh, um, through some of the reports that uh, the plan is to divide the company into three pieces. From our side, what we are doing, though, is that uh, we are ring-fencing these three divisions within the company. And f- f- from our side, some people I here they think that uh, when you ring-fence it, you're preparing the company for privatization. But uh, as many years ago, used to have these three divisions, which is transmission, distribution, and generation, each one of them. Having its own board, each one of them having its own balance sheet. So, in other words, these days almost everything has is being carried, I would say, generally by trans by, by uh, a generation because that's where the money comes from because we, we generate electricity and we sell. So, but distribution, for example, which is where you you sell electricity to customers, currently we are being owed over seventeen billion rand by municipalities, mm. and another seventeen billion rand by Soweto. If you had uh, this company, or this union being standalone, I'm sure distribution would have done much more than it has done now to make sure that we get that money. So, from our side, the, tr- the, the issues around splitting and uh, some people are talking about privatization, that is way beyond us. It's a matter that uh, the presidency and government as a whole will have to make a pronouncement on. But, Arabile, um, these things are looking at beginning to improve. And also in terms of of our finances, as you correctly mentioned, now we now have uh, raised ninety five percent of the money that we required for the current financial year. So that the remaining five percent, we are hopeful that we will get it before the end of March this year. But I have to qualify this by saying, um, it is not an ideal situation, quite frankly, where the company has to borrow money for its operational uh, issues. So ideally, mm-hmm. we should be generating money from uh, our operations. But this is where we are. Unfortunately, we have only the resources of, uh, of uh, getting funds. It, it comes from uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, borrowing, yeah. also from equity from the state, and also from our own uh, tariffs that we get. So for many years now, we have been receiving a very low tariffs of less than inflation, And and unfortunately, we had to rely more on our borrowings, which is why currently we are sitting with borrowings of nearly 420
1: billion rand. Yeah. Kulu, appreciate your time this morning. Kulu Pasiwe is the spokesperson of ESCOM there. How will they use that funding? Well, he's just spoken about it. And just the necessary elements, the apologies, of just how uh, ESCOM really needs to keep afloat, shall we say, uh, at least up until the next financial year. Let's get into your traffic.
0: Every morning, Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic Business, Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
1: There's some rising concerns about global warming and a push toward, un, uh, or rather ethical underwriting. Mining companies operating in today's landscape are now facing what is a unique set of uh, insurance challenges. Now, late last year, insurance giant Zurich, uh, Zurich, rather, announced that it would stop offering insurance to mining and power generation companies, which are receiving over 50% of their revenue from coal. Joining a growing list of global insurers taking steps to now distance themselves from coal in the wake of climate change concerns, so let's chat to Paul Pryor, global mining practice leader at aeon uh Paul, thank you so much for your time this morning. This is certainly going to hurt an entire industry
4: Thank you very Billy. um absolutely yes um and Zurich isn't the only insurer that's uh made these announcements there are another there are a number of other major insurers that have made similar announcements uh, in a slightly different way, typically Swiss Re being another big one, Allianz, uh, AXA, SCORE, Munich Re, all very big insurers. However, I'd just like to clarify just up front, uh, a bit, is that when we talk about coal, um, what we're talking about here is thermal coal. Uh, thermal coal specifically, uh, because thermal coal is, is uh, considered dirty coal. It's the coal that's used in power stations for heat generation, and electricity generation so these insurers are pulling out of insuring uh, thermal coal mines and also
1: thermal uh, coal power production plants as well how worrying then is it for a sector like you know for these sectors in particular because you know these are coal in itself has you know been the bedrock of of, uh, of of global mining really and now yes we are speaking about renewables but it doesn't seem that the world has sort of adapted or gone into this as quickly as one would have hoped in order to alleviate the stress particularly uh, on things like climate change which we're obviously overly concerned about now but it doesn't seem that the world is catching up quick enough is this perhaps one of those ways where global insurers are now saying, "Look, let's rather step back from this." That will perhaps spearhead, do you think, uh, the the ability to go into, uh, you know, different sort of mining, uh, and then decrease coal mining, and then look at other ways of, of how to help.
4: Absolutely, um, you know, I think the the hope is that uh, with pressure from the likes of insurers, from financiers, from banks, uh, that um, now don't fund these projects. That uh, it will put pressure on on thermal coal producers, uh, thermal coal uh, generators, to look into alternative sources of power generation. And and it's working. You know, um, if you look around the world, there's a number of uh, coal miners that are expanding their their portfolios. that are into into renewables. They're, they're installing solar power plants to try and balance uh their their global footprint so to speak their 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 carbon footprint and uh so I think it is it is moving in that direction i hear I hear what you're saying that it's it's slow but um it is moving you know and and these things you know there's there's many many billions of people still mm. without
1: electricity, and the cheapest way to give them electricity at the moment unfortunately is using thermal coal. Yeah, how, how, what do, we, what do, what do mine mine, mining companies now have to do then? What is What does that mean for their companies as a whole? I mean, those specifically that focus then on coal mining, especially, what happens to them?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, mining is not a thing that you can just switch on and switch off like a, a tap, uh, you know, with water coming in and out. Um, mining takes years and years of investment, of planning, lots of money, So, it's not something they can just change overnight. And this is another reason why it is taking time. Um, Often, you know, with with, uh, thermal coal, you also get metallurgical coal in a similar region. So, you know, it's putting pressure on mining companies now to to mine metallurgical coal rather than thermal coal. Uh, Metallurgical coal is a a cleaner coal, it's used for coking, it's used in um, steel furnaces, for example. And it's a lot less polluting. So, you know, I think all this will put pressure on them to to expand their their product space uh, to go into more uh, environmentally
1: friendly um, options. Yeah, and I suppose that is kind of the way the world is going, right? It's it's really quite significant that uh, uh, a change is sort of made. It's going to cost a lot, though, for the industry, isn't it? And, you know, some will say that it perhaps doesn't feel like it would be worth it. But will it pay for itself in the long run, do you reckon?
4: Oh, yes, definitely. Um, definitely. It's it's like electric cars, you know. And when, when the electric cars came out, uh, they were very, very expensive. The price is plummeting at the moment. Um it's going to be the same. It's going to be the same with renewables. Uh, solar solar power generation is on the increase. The the unit cost for generating electricity from solar and wind, for example, is plunging, and is it is very very close to to um, the cost of generating electricity with with coal. So, you know, with more with more technology, with more investment, this whole uh, this, the, the unit cost will come down, and um, and it will it will work, but as I said before, it's something that cannot be done overnight. It is happening, and it's a gradual process. It's not a switch on switch off thing.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Paul, really appreciate your time this morning, and hopefully, I think it's something that, as you said, needs to kind of happen. And these uh, mining companies certainly need to get on board, particularly coal miners, because it is beginning to uh, take shape in some ways as global insurers continue to relook at how they uh, how they uh, take up. Coal mining. That's Paul Pryor. He's the global mining practice leader at Aeon. Let's get into your news headlines.
0: Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Arenser on Classic Business. Breakfast with Moneyweb.
1: It's 7:31 now so ease in south africa have continued to be i mean the song of the year right it continues to be something we look at and ask ourselves just how can we save the situation whether it be escom that we've spoken about a little bit earlier whether it be south african airways as well which has obviously been a significant issue they've tried to find ways to better the situation at some South, uh, South Africa's SOEs. But given what is going on with regards to the Zondo Commission as well on state capture, uh, which is uh, kicking off again today, government officials, state-owned enterprises, all being incriminated with corrupt dealings, the question becomes just how we can uh, save South Africa's SOEs. And clearly, it comes with first clearing the mess that perhaps sits in, In those uh, state-owned companies lynn mcgregor uh, is senior fellow for corporate governance at the university of stellenbosch lynn thank you so much for your time this morning do south africans have perhaps what is a leadership crisis right now and do we even have the the leadership around to to you know to perhaps build on south africa's soes after we get done with all these inquiries and hopefully you know all that have uh, people have been brought to book
5: um, thank you and good morning. Well, um, because we've, um, we've been in a kind of fog um, of um, non-reality, because uh, things have been uh, non-transparent, the answer to your question is we probably do have, I'm sure we have very, very good, competent people Um, But we have to get rid of this cultural fear and cover-up, because otherwise it's difficult to access really good information.
1: So one would say that we we are kind of heading in the right way. It's really just more about, now perhaps the prosecution of people, perhaps, to show them that we mean business and we are serious about this, so that we can actually start the real process of fixing South Africa as a country.
5: Yes. Um, my, my feeling, and particularly after the world five world powers, uh, if I'm using the Sunday Times headline, warns South Africa on graft, um, that South Africa has got to make, or South Africans have to make real choices now, because we have to change the culture of South Africa we have to have leaders who inspire the people to do a good job, because um, the SOEs um, up till now, have boards who are professional, knowledgeable, and able to do the actual job that they have to do, which is proper governance and uh, and also taking guiding and and guarding. The organizations and institutions that they are responsible for um, and also uh, they also need to work hand-in-hand hand as very good um, SOEs do if you if you look at the uh, if you look at Minister Rob Davis um, he from the beginning started um, having working relationships with the SOEs he was responsible for and making sure that the professionalism which we need, people, if you um, want to fly an airplane, you have to have qualifications to be a pilot. You can't just get on a plane and think that everything is going to be okay. And uh, the Institute of Directors and many universities are training people up in their 30s to understand what businesses, what running companies are like, and we have to start uh, enabling those people to empower other people as leaders. Because from my point of view, the economy will only work if people are proud of the work that they do, and the work that they do has to be a professionally, uh, a pro- professionally led um, Leadership and governance of institutions, because if if you run an organisation and you can't um, you can't write a decent financial report or a decent uh, internal report, you're not doing the job. So and to me, the most important thing is that we need to get the right directors on the right boards mm-hmm. and separate the. Political appointments from actual uh, the, the ability of, of our directors to do their jobs properly
1: and what have you made then of the the president's efforts uh, you know have you know do you think that he can perhaps then continue to try and turn things around? can he actually be the one to turn things around for us
5: well he's saying the right things um, but uh, as with uh, as with many other people, um, if, um, I'm hoping that he's not getting in. If you get into bed with uh, with somebody who has a disease, you will get infected. So we don't know who he's getting into bed with at the moment, and um, it, uh, he's got huge problems. I think. Um, it is probable, I mean not probable. I think he's saying and trying the right things. Um, that there is a lot of important choices which, uh, as I said, as a country we need to make, and uh, these are mainly ethical choices um, about whether we are we have integrity, whether we tell the truth. Whether we give investors enough information to prove real information to prove that we can actually run these run these companies in a way that uh, they feel satisfied that they can trust that we will deliver, we have to learn how to achieve results, not just talk about achieving results. We yeah. have to achieve them.
1: Yeah. So. If we want to achieve these results, does it matter then that we have things like the state capture inquiry, for example, uh, the inquiry itself drag out for as long as possible to get rid of every single uh, bit of uh, uh, you know state capture there is? Or is it about just moving forward and trying to perhaps get to the grips of it and then try to find a solution as quickly as possible to move forward? Yes.
5: I liked what the new um, head of the NPA said. She said if what you do is right, you will be supported and if what you do is wrong, you're on your own. So you cannot keep people who are going to continue to fight to be corrupt. You know, they won't just give up with battle because the stakes are too high. So you have to start being very careful about who you select and you have to have policies about uh, if, if anything goes wrong, you have to have policies and acts which will actually deal with um, corruption because corruption is very easy and very quick to do. So you have to have strict policies, but on the other hand, you have to inspire people to think that they have uh, they have a hand in shaping the future of this country, yeah. and they are going to be supported uh, to do that.
1: Lynn, appreciate your time this morning. Certainly, hope your words are heeded and heard. Lynn McGregor is senior fellow for corporate governance at the University of Stellenbosch. Seven forty, your
0: traffic. Every morning, Arabila gomede and Anastasia aronson on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
1: 743. So let's get into our next little topic here now. And uh, it's been quite interesting to take a note of just how the markets have fared over the last few uh, years in particular. It hasn't necessarily blown the lights out, but one sector that will comfor- comfortably beat uh, bonds, according to Ashburton, is the bonds. And it seems that uh, Greg, Davis, Greg Davies, who of course joins us in studio, is in agreement with that one. So let's chat about just how significant and how uh, how things could easily outperform inflation this year in the bond market. Albert Buerta, head of fixed income portfolio management at Ashburton Investments, joins us on the line. That's quite a lot of confidence there by saying easily outperform.
6: Uh, good morning. Um, well, uh, we've actually had quite a good start to the year. I mean, bonds did about almost 3% in January. So if you think inflation is going to average close to five, uh, we've done 3% of that already. So uh, it seems to be well justified at the
1: moment. So we're saying then, I mean, look, people should be diversifying nonetheless, but it seems to be a a diversification to the bond market more than anything else right now.
6: So yes, I mean, bonds, as as one of its primary purposes, fulfills the role of diversification in broader portfolios. So um, the primary way that will get exposure to the bond market is through investing in portfolios, as allocation type portfolios like balanced funds or stable funds, that have a portion of bonds, where the manager has the capability to. Say reduce equity exposure or reduce other other sector exposures, and to increase their bond exposures.
0: Mm.
1: In, in 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 including or increasing your bond exposure, then one has to be cognizant, however, of you know which sort of areas you go into. Yes, over the last three years, for example, uh, we've seen bonds return fifteen point four percent, eleven percent, and then seven point four percent respectively, though. But it is declining.
6: So. Um, 2016 and 2017 were pretty good years for the bond market. As you said, 2018 last year was uh, 7.4. But I mean, even if you look at last year, if inflation averaged just a little bit below 5, giving you 7 and let's call it close to 7.5% from bonds, um, gave you CPI plus 2, CPI plus 2.5% in the bond market, which is actually pretty close to the historical averages. The um, the, the bond market in 2016 and 2017 and hopefully 2019 it, it looks like it should be outperforming its uh, its long term trends, which is generally a good time to be in an asset asset class.
1: Yeah, and I suppose staying in there for as long as possible also is 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 really the good thing. I think that's that's the element here that I think investors are worried that you know, they've kind of seen their equity portfolios perhaps not do as well as they would have liked and perhaps staying in for the long run. Have you found that people are staying in longer? Are they going to continue to to wear out the storm?
6: There has definitely been a shift in, in the market from the more aggressive portfolios to the more conservative portfolios with the disappointment of the equity markets the last couple of years uh, that it's certainly a trend we're seeing. Um, a lot of investors are actually moving all the way down into almost the most conservative portfolios that they can find. Um, but over the long run, that's not really a sustainable strategy. You have to think about at least having a, a, a section of your money exposed to assets that are looking to, to beat inflation by a couple of percentage points. But it's understandable that, that clients become disenfranchised or disenchanted with, uh, with asset classes that promise them 6 and 7% above inflation and have struggled to, uh, to, to gain that. The reality is over the long term, that's probably where you should be. But in the short term, you may want to think about allocating to more conservative portfolios.
1: Yeah, I suppose. With, but now the question for me, however, has always been what happens with the likes of ESCOM? Those, those, those and the other SOEs are major risks and that could certainly hurt in terms of ratings, downgrades and the like, which then could impact that bond market.
6: Yes, I mean it certainly will. But um, rating downgrades or difficulties of ESCOM is likely to impact all the financial markets in South Africa, not just the bond market. It'll, it's likely to impact the equity markets as well. Um, so it it's it's a it's a risk that is relatively broadly spread, regardless of where you you're invested. And if you think that in um, 2016 and 2017 and 2015. We saw saw the departure of uh, three finance ministers over that period, still bonds have done relatively well. So, Bonds seem to weather the storm over the long term as long as the financial institutions um, remain relatively uh, well-governed and hopefully the the issues we have with ESCOM is more geared towards their solving and and the ending of, of the uncertainty and the problems. Uh, and the discovery of what problems there are still uh, that we d- may not know about rather than, I suppose, f- further deterioration.
1: Albert Bert, I appreciate your time this morning. Head of Fixed Income Portfolio Management at Ashburton Investment. That bond market said to outperform inflation this year. Uh, Greg, you said you certainly agree with that. So some sentiments coming through there. Uh, the risks are there, but it seems, as as with almost anything really, The, uh, once you stay in for as long as possible, you will get the reward.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because obviously I focus on the equity market. But it's fascinating to hear someone who understands that field looking at the returns. And I think the way the market's starting to think is a bit more defensive, which would be things like bonds where there's, where there's theoretically less risk than the equity market. And those are some decent returns that they've done over the last
1: three years. Mm, I suppose those those returns, however, also come with weathering the storm, right? You, you kind of have to hold on tight <laughs> when things do look a little shaky and a little rocky. You kind of have to continue facing up to it all. Just some other news to have taken place. Of course, there was big news just last Friday. Of course, with the mass resignation of the board of directors at the Public Investment Corporation. There's obviously an inquiry into the Public Investment Corporation's affairs. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that uh, that everyone on the board is is guilty, but it's a telltale sign when everyone resigns, though, doesn't it, uh, Hey Greg?
2: Yeah, I thought about it a lot on, on the weekend. The news broke uh, late on Friday afternoon. It is quite troubling if you think of the size of the, of the PIC. It's almost $2 trillion under management there. And, you know, they've got a lot of responsibility. The fact that the board be stepped down at and there was, you know, there's some whistleblower inside the PIC saying due process wasn't followed correctly uh, on some of the investments. And what my experience with the PIC is when, when something like this happens, they can put all their investments on, on pause until a new board's in place. And that, not ideal in markets you need you need to be nimble and you need to be focused
1: yeah it does seem however, that the finance Minister Ditombowei has uh you know taken steps to appoint a new board that's especially according to word from uh, his spokesperson Jablanis Kakane they're saying that things are beginning to to make headway uh this there is now a process underway to appoint a new board so few issues though as well there you know the portfolio manager on that front being uh, um, sacked a little bit early on suspended uh, due to that io technology deal as well so uh, a few question marks being asked they have asked them to be a whole lot more transparent Uh, so it's quite significant here's something i thought was quite interesting as well greg Uh, social media has become a curse For insurers, the momentum bungle with uh, claims, of course, in 2018 and Old Mutual's initial refusal before paying out the claim of an Atlantis woman whose husband was shot dead in crossfire in 2017 have opened insurers' eyes to how damaging the court of public opinion can be to their brands. How much more respect should you have then for social media as as a firm and not just expect it to just blow over?
2: Yeah, that was a fascinating sort of way to watch it out play. You know, everybody's trying to protect their name and business, and a lot of people mm-hmm. have got negative things to say about Facebook and and Twitter, but it does have its positive roles to to play. Certainly, in in, in this this case, uh, you know, the the public outcry for
1: forced the momentum to do the right thing in the end yeah so we'll continue to watch out how how things progress in the entire industry just some other quick news as well capitech is set to increase its investment in new technologies such as machine learning and even artificial intelligence as key enablers in improving its credit risk and customer experience so it plans to try to lead the way at the very least if nothing else uh with regards to uh the ai or artificial intelligence Mm
0: -hmm. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Arenser on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
1: Alexander Forbes Investments launched the 2019 Global Asset Management Trends, outlining the key themes and trends that investors need to explore now there's things from smart beta alternative investments risk management sustainability big data and of course technology in china as well are disruptors uh, in international asset management uh, also the most imp- uh, dominant themes as well impacting investors for this year so let's look out to the rest of this year what are the key sort of six uh, major trends shaping future investment decisions we chat to janina slowski principal investment consultant at alexander forbes investments who joins me in studio janina thank you so much for the time the significance is now that you have to keep abreast of the six trends. It's not just about notifying and knowing which ones they are, right?
7: That's right. And in fact, we're at an extremely interesting time for investments because the last 10 years since the global financial crisis has been a very strange time, Mm. very low volatility. You're almost guaranteed to get positive returns, borrow cheap and put it into the market. That's changing. So that's the major reason why we're talking about disruptors. Going forward, we think that the passive trend will definitely continue as it has for the last 10 years, but it has to get smarter. When markets start being volatile, you can't stay vanilla passive because going down is not as nice as it is going up.
1: The era of passive investment is sort of dwindling or, or, or waning?
7: No, no, growing in lots of strength. And essentially, we've had a long period where active managers struggled. So uh, investors were saying, why should I pay active fees when I can just go into passive, cheap, and go up on the upside? But obviously, as soon as markets go sideways, that doesn't quite hold. So you start needing to be, let's find some active element. Mm. That's where smart beta comes in. Because there you can have an element of active, but still pay very low fees versus traditional active management.
1: Yeah. We also note... Uh, alternative investments let's talk first about what is that and you know are people sort of running out of alternative investments because alternatives end up becoming mainstream investments
7: Well, your traditional alternatives will be in the unlisted space. So there you're talking big investments like infrastructure and renewable energy and so on. So that's definitely not mainstream for your average investor who needs liquid assets, doesn't necessarily have a long-term investment frame. Mm -hmm. Um, For your largest investors in the world, for your defined benefit funds, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, they're very long-term investors. So they can afford to go into those. But we do expect over the next 10 years to these – to become more and more accessible to even retail investors because they'll be packaged in a way that gives some level of liquidity. We almost call it a barbell strategy that we think some will go for the pure passive, uh, cheap in terms of listed assets, but then they'll be looking for real alpha and real active management alpha in terms of unlisted and
1: alternatives. Mm. All right, let's talk about the third one as well, risk management to increase in value add and sophistication. So uh, managing your risks now is going to be very significant in a time where the turbulence is now coming, right? The volatility is now building up.
7: That's right. And again, global financial crisis created a lot of surprises for investors. Things happened in their portfolios they didn't expect. So, there's been a lot of sophistication growing within risk management in the last 10 years. Obviously, regulators have changed their stance substantially, but so have investors. So, investors are looking for asset managers who better understand their risk and can implement risk management in a way that can give better risk-adjusted returns. And obviously, understanding risk budgets, risk appetites, allegations Mm. to uh, passives, alternatives, et cetera, as well. But really seeing risk management starting to add Mm. value as opposed to being a necessary evil.
0: Mm.
1: The other other three then elements, sustainable investing to gain momentum, as you say, big data. Uh, You know, we've had that discussion for quite some time, but it continues to still stay in the foreground. And then China still being a disruptor in international asset management.
7: Yes, yeah, so a quick comment on each of them. Sustainable investing, we believe to some extent has been tick box in the past. Mm. That's changing. Regulators and investors are asking more of asset managers to be more responsible and especially moving into the alternative space to actually make impact investing as opposed to just responsible investing. Uh, big data definitely will change the way that asset managers are managed and the way they interact with their customers and Robo advice and so on will definitely come to the fore but also in terms of enhanced uh, portfolio management that you can actually get better data sources and better analytics and to some extent, artificial intelligence. We still expect humans to be managing money going yeah. <laughs> forward, but we do expect AI to stop being a, a driver in, in terms of investment. So
1: better information, quicker, so to speak, as well. And perhaps one would add a little more vibrant, if you want to call it that.
7: Oh, very much so. And essentially, the ones who can better analyze data will the ones that add better value and yeah. therefore get better investors. Yeah.
1: yeah. And for that last one, just China, that Chinese market, then attracting uh, you know, a whole lot of investors too.
7: Yeah, two ways we see it. First of all, um, at the moment, China is a very small part of listed indices, largely because it's been inaccessible to international investors. So that's gradually changing. It's starting to come into um, equity indices from last year. Two more providers will add this year. It's also going into bonds. So that starts making it more investable, although it still comes with quite a lot of health warnings. Mm. Uh, The Chinese tend to do a lot of voluntary suspensions. So you'll go into the stock exchange and find a lot of the shares just on trading because they been suspended. So it'll be key that investors make decisions about whether they're going to start allocating to China as a separate asset allocation. It is going; it is already the second biggest uh, economy in the world and it's certainly going to be growing in the listed space. But then from the other side as well, in terms of asset management, we said becoming the second largest asset management industry in the world, mm. which means that your big international asset managers, if they want to remain some of the largest in the world, if they don't have a China strategy, they are going to be falling behind so most of your big asset managers are starting to do joint ventures setting up some sort of subsidiaries in china and again with health warnings this isn't the easiest environment to move into but it is seen as critical if they want to remain
1: relevant into the future yeah despite the falling growth in that market it still offers quite a whole host of promise Overall, the the general picture, in order to reap the rewards, you kind of have to be in the market, though, don't you?
7: That's right. But obviously, go in and actually understand the market. don't think you can go in and apply sort of Western ways of managing money, interacting with investors. It's got to be different, but it is critical to success into the future.
1: Janine Eslowski, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really, really appreciate it. Hopefully, something to look out for? Those are the six major trends shaping future investment decisions. Janine Slowsky is Principal Investment Consultant at Alexander Forbes. Greg Davies, yeah, it's been an interesting one. Anything else you'll be looking out for, particularly for the day and perhaps even for the week? Yeah, I suppose back to
2: the the PIC, that's going to be dominating the headlines for the next couple of days. We need some quick action by Mr.
1: Mbaweni there. Yeah, and of course that state capture inquiry continues as well for another day, so we'll see how things fare on that front. Yes, Angelo Agritti is uh, done with his testimony, and we've even had two others testify in the meantime. Since then, we'll continue to see how things unfold. How much more will be unpacked? When it comes to that. It has brought us to the end of the show and as we generally are going to do now for the month of February, we'll get our our market commentators to just say the very last words of the show. So we continue to hype this up. Last week Gary Boyson didn't get it right. You have about three seconds to do it. Are you ready for this? Okay. Goodbye from us.
2: It's eight o'clock.